As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, um, Bob was hoping to be here, got back Friday um, from being in Florida caring for his parents, and unfortunately had to fly down again last night as his parents, uh, as his dad had a couple of seizures and is now in the hospital with um, pneumonia, and it felt serious enough that he felt like he had to be there as quickly as possible. Um, And so, (laughs) here we are. uh, he sent me his notes that he had uh, prepared, and you know Bob's notes. Bob's notes are great, um, and I, I mean that very sincerely. I, I found myself reading through them, really thankful for you know. I'm, I, this the, this passage in Galatians is one that you know is like right up Bob's alley to preach on, and so I know he's preached on it before and had some years to pull from. But I, I found myself just feeling like I was reading through, you know, an academic commentary um, of someone who just knows this passage and embodies it so well. Um, And so the sermon that I'm going to preach is a combination of his notes and some of my reflections, you know, late night, early morning. Um, But I'm, you know, I thought about, well, I could just dust off an old sermon. You wouldn't remember it anyways. Um, But it felt more uh, faithful to kind of step out and just trust that maybe this text is what we're supposed to think about this morning. And um, so that's what we're going to do. Galatians 3, 23 through 29. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul's declaration that there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus, reminds us that God's work in the world is just as much about breaking down the walls that divide human beings as it is about reconciling individual people to God. Throughout this homily, a lot of it will be quoting Bob's notes. I'm not going to like tell you every time. You're just going to have to play the game where you sort of figure it out. That was all Bob. Um, yeah, and that, that, that'll be a, a lot of this. You'll be able to tell. And then some, some I've inserted. Uh, Bob starts by making the point that God's work in the world is just as, as much about breaking down the walls that divide human beings as it is about reconciling individual people to God in particular God's work in the world is about creating a new kind of community, a new sort of humanity. In the socio-historical context that was Paul's world, the idea of Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, male and female, slave and free, being on equal footing, would have been heard in every single corner of the empire as a dangerous and destabilizing message threatening to tear up the social order of the day. And it remains a threatening message today. Jews and Gentiles simply avoided each other. The law required it. They didn't have much to do with each other. They didn't eat together. They didn't go to the same restaurants or live in the same parts of town. 
They walked on the other sides of the streets. They had as little to do with each other as possible. And it would not have been a de facto obvious next step for them to serve one another in love except for the profound experience of having been embraced by God's transformative love for all people that comes through the message of the gospel. This is, this is you know, preachers have such a hard time coming up with analogies that help us really understand what's going on. I don't have a perfect one. The, the, the one that comes to mind for me um, comes from the, the, the time in my, when I was able to travel to Israel and spend time living uh, for just a few nights with a Palestinian Christian family. And um, to hear some of the tensions that come with being Palestinian Christian um, in an occupied, you know, in an occupied state. And the tension between, um, you know, being being really frustrated, having some, some hatred creep up in your in your heart and in your mind, um, towards towards Israelis that are you know um, instituting laws that uh, put you you know in, in 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 unjust situations. So there's this tension to to love your enemies. There's this hatred that that comes into conflict with, and then and then and then there's this 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 tension in the middle of that where you're longing for justice and you're seeking God's kingdom for yourselves and for your people. Um, and and you know in Israel. Uh, you know, the two rarely are interacting, which is part of the problem. And there's walls set up separating these people. Um, and, and, and Jews and Gentiles just would have had really nothing to do with each other. Um, they would have avoided each other. And, um, and, and the Greeks were, you know, Israel was living under occupation of Rome. And, and, and so there's some of the same dynamics. Um, but it, it would have just been mind-boggling, the idea that that these categories are irrelevant in the Christian community. No, that, that wouldn't make sense. Um, with regard to what Paul says about no distinction between male and female and slave or free, he is imagining something that would have been unimaginable in his world without the message and power of the gospel. Again, the sociocultural setting was not one where people could have imagined relationships transformed in this amazing way. I mean, um, the, the fight to eliminate gender distinctions that is going on today, you know, areas of equal pay and treatment, access to promotions and employment op- opportunities, all of this is still in its global infancy. I just, you know, got back from Uganda and you realize that, you know, in a progressive city like Chicago, you live in this bubble, but you think about the, the, um, the work for gender equality globally. It's just still in such an infant stage. And Paul is saying this 2,000 years ago, that these distinctions no longer have relevancy within the Christian community. Um, it's it's, it's uh, a preposterous challenge. And the church has hardly spearheaded this movement, quite the opposite. Men have propped up the institutional distinctions of gender rather than allowed the power of the gospel to level them. We've ignored the fact that what God has done in Christ not only reconciles us to himself, but also gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That what God has done in Christ is just as much about creating a new kind of reconciled community wherein these distinctions of power hold as much authority as the demons plaguing the beloved man in Luke's passage. Suffice it to say that men at Paul's time would not have been sitting around on their own 
thinking about how to relate to their wives on equal footing. Nor would slave owners have been sitting around wondering how they might become servants to their slaves. Like everything else that has to do with God's grace, this is God's initiative and transcends the limits of human imagine and human moral capacity. That's Bob. But too often the church has stood against this initiative of God. The church has not lived into the vision of the new humanity that we are offered in Galatians. The length of time that it took for Christians to stand against slavery should be something that we not only grieve, but that we use as a sober reminder that those in charge of the church have been on the wrong side of history in grave ways. The same can be said about patriarchy, our record of propping up social distinctions, our slow, slow progress on living into the gospel's vision of a renewed humanity ought to make us all the more circumspect, humble, and prayerful as we think about how to apply the gospel to the most divisive issues in the church today. And here we think of how to maintain unity when there's difference among Christians regarding how to seek justice for the vulnerable in this particular socio-political setting and how to exercise love and tenderness with each other around issues related to human sexuality. And having said all of that, we also need to be quick to celebrate that the message of the gospel did bear fruit immediately in these early Christian communities. And of course, since then as well, and including today, New Testament scholar Gordon Fee makes this observation of life in the early church. This is a great quote. Um, The gospel message for the early Christians was not aimed at abolishing the social structures which were held in place by Roman, Roman law. Rather, here it is, it was intended forever to do away with the significance attached to such structural differences, which pitted one group of human beings against another. And the most radical thing of all was that such people, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, men and women, shared a common meal together, itself a cause for cultural shame. No wonder the world had such difficulty with these early Christians and why they were considered to be, quote, haters of humanity, because they so willingly broke the rules, not by tearing down the structures, but by making them ultimately irrelevant, end quote. That, that quote uh, from Bob made me think of Justin the Martyr, who is one of the first apologists of the church, who is defending the church against accusations that it's, um, that it's illogical, that it's for fools and just for the poor. And, and, and Justin, who, is, who ends up being martyred, um, is one of the first prolific writers for the church who defends it. And, and, and he writes this, and you can, you, can sort of, you can sort of see a couple hundred years later the impact of what Paul is talking about in Galatians. What does it look like when these social distinctions get knocked down? Justin writes this, We ourselves were well conversant with war, murder, and everything evil, but all of us throughout the whole wide earth have traded in our weapons of war. We have exchanged our swords for plowshares, our spears for farm tools. Now we cultivate the fear of God, justice, kindness, faith, and the expectation of the future given us through the crucified one. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and we pray for our enemies. And so the church at Galatia, like other fledgling churches, begun by the missionary work under the leadership of the apostles, 
was an example of just this sort of missionary of community. Truly a taste of the new creation, wherein Jews and Gentiles alike were responding in faith and joy to the message of God's unconditional love for all people, producing a new community that was not even imaginable in the day. Representatives of two people groups who were beyond estranged from one another, Jews and Gentiles, sharing the table with each other as they were being renewed into a new humanity where Christ's transformative presence was enabling those who were hostile to one another to actually begin caring for each other's needs. But something sinister was afoot. And that is the very focused purpose of Paul writing to them. Here's the deal. There were actually traveling teachers from the Jewish wing of the church who were going in behind Paul in Galatia and perhaps other churches. And they were teaching that Gentiles, in order to be obedient to God, needed something more than the welcome of the gospel to be fully welcomed in the church. According to these false teachers, Gentiles needed to get circumcised and follow at least certain aspects of the Jewish law in order to truly belong to Christ. And it should be instructive to us that Paul in Galatians is at his wit's end, and arguably more so than any of his other writing. You can you could sort of hear Paul, you know, writing and then getting up and pacing, inventing, and then coming back to write in Galatians. It's an intense letter. Um, his concern is not over an abstract argument about the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. What he is so upset about and concerned about is the fact that re- requiring Gentiles to be circumcised and follow the Old Testament law would ultimately fracture the unity of the community in Christ by totally changing the gospel itself. This is a good cautionary word for us. I worry, writes Bob, that the individualism that so infects the spirit of our age tempts us to think that our participation in the life of the church is something of our own doing, our own choice, if you will, our own strength. Galatians and the rest of the New Testament, for that matter, makes it very clear that this individualism is utterly foreign to the thinking of early church leaders like Paul. They saw the gift of communion, the gift of unity in the church as something given by God's very self. Um in order to create this new reconciled community that would be a foretaste of the kingdom to come. And I think up to this point, God has helped us at Grace Chicago bear witness to our union with Christ as a gift to be nurtured and cherished. At Grace, God has truly created a community where we we are learning to love each other and be patient with each other. Even though some of us have very different views about how to apply our understanding of God's word to everything from politics politics to questions that touch on human sexuality. It's really easy for me with this passage in Galatians to, um, to set up a straw man, um, to imagine myself, you know, preaching this to some really fundamentalist church that I've never been to and, um, you know, really railing on them about why, why do they hold up these social distinctions and, um, it's really easy to do that on, in church in general when we're listening to a sermon, hoping that so-and-so is listening or so-and-so is listening. Um, it's, it's really easy to do that with this passage for me in particular. Um, what's difficult to do is the inner work of asking myself, who do I truly need God's spirit to enable me to love fully? I wonder who it's hard for you to love. 
I wonder if there are categories of people that are really difficult for you to love. Historically, there have been for the church. I wonder um, what groups of people do you hesitate to love? Whose humanity do I need to see more fully? To be fully human, Justo Gonzalez, uh, one of my favorite theologians, to be fully human, Justo Gonzalez writes, is to be for others. And therefore, God's human creature is not complete until there is another to be for. He continues, what Jesus has done is precisely to open for us the way of love, to free us so that we too can begin to be for others. And in being for others, we are most truly human. And in being most truly human, we are most godlike. In Christ, the Gentile and the Jew, the slave and the free, the poor and the rich, the queer, the immigrant, the refugee, the Palestinian and the Israeli, every single category of human being, even the demoniac, is the beloved child of God, the one whose humanity has been diminished by the powers of the world, the child detained at the border, and even those whose humanity is not moved by their plight. In Christ, we are offered our full humanity as we are clothed by him and assured that God is entirely for us. And that same clothing will feel as if it doesn't fit quite right when it causes us to view even our enemies as the human beings, the brothers and sisters that Christ calls them. This is the radical and costly grace that Paul preaches to the Galatians. And Bob closes, May God give us the grace to continue in the power and presence of the Spirit, to be patient and tender with each other. And as Paul says to the Galatians, bear one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. God, we will need your Holy Spirit to help us be fully clothed in Christ We will need your Holy Spirit to help us see how we can be, um, how we can vulnerably love those that are difficult for us to love. Help us to love more fully this week. Help us to be for others this week in a way that allows us to be fully human. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.